Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk To Be Well with Providence St. Joseph Health. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, bringing you a real conversation on teen mental health from the people who know best, teens. Joining me today is our panel of teen experts from the Work To Be Well Student Advisory Council, Annie Huang and Kelly Park. Also in studio is Parker Spanik, the Youth Outline Outreach Specialist. Our discussion today is about Youthline, where to go when you experience a crisis, and how to support our friends in crisis. Remember, everyone, if you have additional questions about this subject or mental health overall, we can be found at Wellbeing Trust on Twitter and Facebook. Speaking of social, be sure to follow the hashtag WorkToBeWell Student Advisory Council on Instagram at WorkToBeWell. I'm a psychologist and the Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence St. Joseph Health in Oregon. I'm also the clinical liaison to the Wellbeing Trust, an organization working to improve the mental, social, and spiritual health of the nation. Before we start, I want you to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Okay, let's get started by welcoming our panelists to the show. Kelly, Annie, and Parker, thank you for joining us. Can each of you share a little bit about yourself and your roles with the Work to Be Well Student Advisory Council and the Youth Line? Uh, my name is Annie. I'm the director of podcast on the council, and um, I've been working at Youth Line for about two years now as like a youth volunteer. Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm a sophomore in high school, and I also work on the Youth Line with Annie. And I joined Youthline about a year ago, and I'm part of the social media committee on the advisory council. Uh, my name's Parker, and I am the Youthline Outreach Specialist for the Oregon Youthline. I travel the state of Oregon providing educational curriculum and classroom lessons to high schools, middle schools all over the state of Oregon. Well, that's awesome. Now, for our listeners who may not be familiar, tell me what Youthline is. Uh, so youth line is basically like a youth or a peer-to-peer support crisis line. So basically we take chats, texts, and phone calls. And um, it's basically like teens answering the phones and talking to other teens who are in crisis. Well, that's great. Now, why do you think crisis lines like youth line are important? What makes you different? What makes youth line really unique is that it's a teen-to-teen crisis line And we found that a lot of the times teens want to talk to people that can relate to what they're going through and offer support to them. So what kind of things do do teens call you about? Um, I think it's like it's really diverse. Like we'll have like some nights where it's a lot of relationship things and the other times where it's like um, suicide or mental health and then like friend problems. It's like anything that someone would need support for. And I also, like, when I started, I was surprised to find that, like, the age groups are, like, really broad. Like, we have some people who are really young who call, and then some people who are, like, more like 16, 17 who call as well. So I think it's, like, really broad and, like, not, like, there's not, like, one thing that gets called for the most, just in my experience. I agree. There's definitely a big range of topics, and depending on what we're talking about, the way we would respond is different because some calls are much more are much more um, high risk than others. And it's also interesting because when I first joined the youth line, I thought I would be mostly talking on the phone. But we actually found that 
our most common contacts happen over text. Really? What's it like to be responding via text? Do you find that, are you better able to talk to somebody on text or what's that really like for you? The thing with text messages is that it gives you some time to think out your response and that helps, it helps take away some of the stress of trying to come up with something on the spot. And we can also talk to the other, our other volunteers or our supervisor if we don't know how to respond to a question or how to best support someone. So I'm really curious, and I'd like to hear from each of you on this. What got you interested in coming to Youthline to begin with? What, what really got you there? Um, I started with the Oregon Youth Line after working with Lines for Life itself. So Lines for Life is our umbrella organization. And uh, I had a friend that completed suicide about three years ago. And I just got to thinking, you know, what more could I do? How could I provide myself as a service to our community? And um, started volunteering with the adult crisis line, taking those phone calls. Um, the youth line is a room that's like in the crisis lines and it feels very foreign to a lot of adults in that community and it's also much more cool there's like people talking and snacks being had and all of those really fun things um and i've been working with youth for a really long time and so i kind of got pushed into that world um and recognizing what youthline does is so powerful um and just kind of creating the change from a younger audience now and focusing on mental health is so important. So recognizing that the youth line takes contacts via text, chat, phone, and email um, every single day. And it has this, these volunteers who are youth themselves, you know, they're all aged between the ages of 14 or 15 and 19. And they go through 63 hours of training to be able to provide that service. And then additional training, they get certified in youth mental health first aid and safe talk. There's all these really great things that they get to do for their professional development. But the end all be all is that they're there for each other. Um, and they're trying to make that change within their own communities to help the state of Oregon and everyone outside of the state of Oregon. And that's really powerful for me. So that's kind of why I got, I got pulled into the youth line. Thank you, Parker. How about you, Kelly? Why did you join? So I definitely, throughout my, throughout my freshman year and my eighth grade year, as I just went around talking to people, whether it's my friends or my family, I kind of just noticed that everybody is going through some kind of internal struggle. And the thing with physical illnesses is that a lot of the times they're visible and noticeable, but with mental illnesses, you never know what someone could be going through on the inside. And that just made me feel that it was even more urgent to make a change and to do what I could to help support other people. So right when I turned 15, which is the minimum age, I joined Youthline and it's been, it's been good so far. How about you, Annie? Um, I used to call Youthline when before I worked there, um, and I was like having a really hard time trying to like figure out my mental health and stuff. Especially like growing up in like an Asian immigrant family, you don't talk about mental health because it's like really stigmatized. And I remember like I had I called Youthline one time and I was like really scared about telling my dad 
that like I was like feeling this way and the person who I was on the phone with like we're like you can go tell him I'll wait on the phone for you so then I went and told my dad and I went back upstairs and they were still on the phone for me so I was like after I like figured my stuff out and I was like I'm like in a place where I can work here and like in a healthy way like where I can like actually do something good then I was like I wanted to kind of give back and work at Youthline and do that for other people like someone did for me wow thanks for sharing that that's really that's really great so what do you want your peers to know about this resource that that maybe you didn't know before the first time you called what do you want people to know um I think like that it's really chill because it's another teenager talking to you so it's like it's not as much pressure as I think talking at least for me when I was like younger it was like not as much pressure as talking to an adult than like another teenager who like understands what you're going through and like how it's different in your generation than like those that came before and also like they're really nice people and they're all really cool people and I really appreciate them I'd want people to I'd want people to know that whatever they're going through is valid because Annie and I were just talking before this, but we both agree that a lot of the time when people first reach out to us, they say something like, I don't want to feel like a burden to you, but this is what's going on, or I don't feel like my this is a big deal or a big problem, but it's making me feel this way. And so I'd want people my age to know that whatever they're going through is valid and it does deserve to be heard. And I think on my side of of the spectrum for on my peer, right, as an adult staff for the youth line, um, letting other adults in the world know that teens are resilient and they're capable. Um, everyone's feelings are valid, but sometimes teens need to be heard a little more. And I think that, you know, the youth line isn't there to save lives. It's not there to fix all your problems. It's there to help empower you to save yourself and to fix yourself and worry about you know, those pieces of yourself. And so letting adults know that we need to start listening and we need to let our teens be heard. You know, I think it's really amazing that the youth line fields more than 14,000 contacts each year. When you're on shift, you're not there 24 hours a day. What's a, what's a regular routine shift on the youth line? So we're open from four to 10 every single day of the year. And the shifts are three hours long. So I usually go from 4 to 7, and then some nights I'll go 10 or 7 to 10. So it really just depends. Some people do double shifts. That seems like that would be a lot in one evening. Because you're, you're talking to an average of 35 kids per day, teens and young adults. And, and they're not just from Oregon, are they? No. Um, we call ourselves the Oregon Youth Line. We originated here. It's it's a wonderful local resource, but we are recognizing that we are taking calls nationally now. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever gotten them, but we get some global emails from some random teens that are struggling outside of um, America. And so we really are a national service, a national resource for teens everywhere. Yeah, it's really interesting because even last night I was on a shift and one of the people on my shift, they needed a translator in Spanish because the person that they were talking to didn't have great English. And so it was just really interesting because when I first started volunteering, I wasn't expecting to get such a big range of contacts. Yeah, I agree. They like come from all over the place. And I think 
um, that like it's really cool how it's kind of grown because I know that it started just in Oregon and now like there's a lot of people coming from all over the place and I've definitely talked to people out of the country which is really interesting as well. So I understand that you've recently opened a, a satellite in Bend. Have any of you been over there? Um, we just <laughs> opened our uh, our satellite office in Bend, Oregon. Um, so we're now servicing the Tri-County areas. Um, we have we just started providing outreach in that area, um, and but we're opening our phone our phone lines in July, I think. Well, that's a really exciting development because I know this is a great opportunity for for young people in the Portland metropolitan area to volunteer, but having that ability to do that in other parts of Oregon, I think is really fabulous. So how many teens are there on a shift? I'd say they're usually about six, around that number, but with the holidays and everything, people (laughs) get busy, and so sometimes the shifts can be a little small. We have about four to six I would say every single night um we also have more bodies in the room too because we have staff so it's a small space with a lot of people um but all of our volunteers are are like all of our phone calls and our texts and our chats are monitored by our um master's level clinician who is in the room supporting all of our volunteers throughout the entire shift I think that's a, a really great place for us to pick up after this next break so that we can talk a little bit more about how the youth line is professionally supported with with clinicians. We'll be right back. Come on, y'all! And I saw her face. <laughs> now I'm a believer. Welcome back to Talk to Be Well, where our guests today are from Youthline, a free confidential teen-to-teen crisis and helpline provided by Lines for Life, a nonprofit dedicated to preventing substance abuse and suicide. Our Youthline team volunteers, Kelly and Annie, are available 4 to 10 p.m. daily for peer support and crisis intervention through phone, text, chat, or email. And adult crisis intervention specialists are available 24 hours a day. The teens who work for Youthline are trained to be peer crisis intervention specialists who can listen, relate, and empathize while discussing coping skills and encouraging help-seeking behavior. And at the same time, you're supported by clinicians right there in the room. Parker, do you want to talk a little bit about the role the clinicians play in the room? Sure, I'd love to. 
our youth line has uh, master's level clinicians that are available for support. Um, they're also monitoring and um, supporting every single one of the phone calls, texts, and chats, and emails. Uh, outside of our master's level clinician that's at the forefront of the table kind of directing all of this, we also have our entire Lines for Life adult crisis staff that are available to our youth as well. A lot of the time, the master's level clinician in the room and the master's level clinician outside of the room are going to be talking to each other to kind of help figure out the best route for each of these phone calls or texts or um, chats. Um, yeah. So, Annie, why do you think it's so important that that this is a teen-to-teen service? What makes that different? I think, like, a big thing is just feeling like you aren't alone because you're talking to someone who has probably been through, like, similar things or they could go through similar things and, like, we're also, like, thinking on, like, the same level. Like, we think kind of, like, in a similar way because we're all, like, around the same age. So it's, like, you feel like you... And I also think, like, you don't feel a pressure to, like... Because, like, talking to an adult, you feel, like, more of a pressure to kind of, I think, censor a little bit rather than, like, talking to another teen. And also, I think that, like, we understand a lot of the problems that um, teenagers face now compared to other generations. And I think a big thing is, like, social media and, like that pressure from that and also like the problems that can arise from that and like how you feel about yourself and how like that can like play into like friendships and relationships and yeah another big benefit of having it be teen to teen is that not only is it teen to teen but it's anonymous and I think a big fear that people that reach out to us can be is oh, are they going to tell other people or will people find out? And that can definitely prevent the contacts or the people that reach out to us from speaking about these problems with their friends or with their parents or with teachers. Because like Annie said, with social media, word can spread really fast. And so just the fact that we're confidential and that we don't have any... any um bias on what they're going through I think that just really helps so Kelly you mentioned the confidentiality and that makes me think about you must have policies procedures and and rules you have to follow when you're talking to people what are are some (laughs) of the rules that you have so every single volunteer on Youthline has an alias and we we try not to give any identification like our school of course or where we live or our age exactly and sometimes that becomes hard because the people that reach out to us sometimes they want to know who exactly they're talking to and usually when they ask those kinds of things we just kind of have to say put a boundary up and say that we're just there for them and we just want to keep the focus on that. Yeah, to add on to that, um, we're also mandatory reporters. So if it sounds like someone's going to hurt themselves or someone else or like their signs of abuse or something, then we are required to report it. And like that's like the only time we'd kind of, I guess, break confidentiality. But we do always let the person know that we are mandatory reporters and like whether we will be reporting something. How's that process work, Parker, when somebody reports and says, you know, I've I've got an issue, I've got abuse, um, on the phone here 
what happens next? Yeah, on the actual contact, um, our youth and volunteers are going to really, we're going to first and foremost let them know that we're mandatory reporters, but we really want to make sure that they feel comfortable giving us as much or as little information as they feel comfortable. Um, we will let them know that our supervisor is going to be contacting either CPS or EMS, uh, whatever, you know, pertaining to whatever abuse or neglect or um, intent to harm is happening. From that point, um, if the contact wants to have more information, we can let them know. We can update them. And after we've given the report to CPS, we can tell them if the investigation is open or closed. And we can also get an update, making sure that that person really feels like they have control because that can be an uncontrollable situation sometimes. So do you have people who call like frequently routine callers? Yeah, we have regular callers. And um, if like... If they, the supervisor, like, knows about it, then they'll, like, let us know, be like, this person's frequent. Like, sometimes they'll give us, like, a little summary of, like, what they usually talk about and, like, um, whether we should check in on safety and, like, whether there's, like, a time cap on that person. I think Parker may have touched on this a little earlier, but we don't want Youthline to become their only source of support. Our main goal is to find how they can support themselves or find other resources in their life that will be more long-term and sustainable. So when we do feel like someone is only coming to us or we're the only place that they can go to, um, we try to set some kind of boundary and help them find another way that they can take care of themselves because we're obviously not going to be there all the time. So you all went through 63 hours of training, which sounds like an awful lot. You must have learned different methods for how you talk to somebody or de-escalate them when they're in a crisis. Kelly, can you share a few ideas about that? One of the one of the strategies that they teach us in the training is this thing called square breathing. And so sometimes when people reach out to us, they could be in a state where they're not able to breathe or they're not able to think clearly and so square breathing is just a good way for a good way to help you know slow things down and help them regain control over the situation square breathing sounds really interesting parker could you could you give us a demonstration of how that works sure um it's just basically imagining a square that's four by four by four by four and what you would do is run through run somebody through it um really easily actually so you would have them inhale one two three four hold at the top four three two one exhale one two three four and then hold at the bottom for one two three and then they just continue like breathing normally Um, it's a really great tool for somebody who's in crisis and can't regain their breath or is crying really heavily anything like that Parker, did you want to share a little bit more about training? Yeah, I mentioned, uh, you know, the youth mental health first aid and the safe talk and potentially assist training that they can go through. The biggest part of training, though, is just learning how to listen. It's kind of wild because we think that we're this this is part of human nature it's ingrained in us but it's not we're constantly thinking about our grocery lists and what we're going to do next and um you know i've gone through the same thing and that's not always you know helpful for people and so i think a 
the majority of what we do in our 63 hours of training is learning how to validate and to listen and to reflect and to be uh, an active participant in the conversation and not um, not fielding the conversation in a way that feels good for you, not asking questions out of curiosity, really trying to get that person to start thinking about the ways that they can help themselves, you know, what we would call motivational interviewing. And so helping our contacts find the power within themselves um, to feel motivated by themselves, to figure out what coping looks like for them, all of those pieces. Annie, how about you? Yeah, I think that like we learn a lot during those 63 hours, but also like I feel like we're constantly learning when we're in that room and like talking to people. And I feel like that's like a really important part of it too, because like square breathing is something that you can learn in that room when you're asking your supervisor or the other people, like, what should I tell this person? And also you learn like, how do I talk to a person when they're in this certain mindset? And like, I feel like we're like constantly learning as we're experiencing and going through that. So one of the things that, that you get trained on is how to do a safety assessment when you're working with somebody who is having suicidal thoughts. Um, do you want to walk me through, Kelly, how that works? So the first step that we want to take if we suspect that someone's having suicidal thoughts is just to say it out loud, are you having suicidal thoughts? And that can be a really hard question to ask because it is such a stigmatized issue and sometimes you don't want to go around just asking that to people because you don't want them to get offended. But in our case, it's really necessary to actually put it out in words. And if they do respond with yes, then there's actually a specific line of questions that we need to ask them because we're mainly concerned by their safety and whether or not they'll be able to stay safe. So the first question is, like, are you having suicidal thoughts? And then they'll say yes or no. And then we'll ask, do you have some kind of plan? And depending on that, we'll ask if they have access to um, access to execute this plan. And depending on the steps of this conversation, we'll constantly be checking in on them and how they're feeling. But we just want to make sure that they have some kind of support system that will keep them safe in that moment. And worst case scenario, they may say that they don't think that they can stay safe. And then in that case, we'll have to find, we'll have to find some other kind of resource. And oftentimes our supervisor will help us in this situation. And we may need to get connected to more resources. So why is it important to ask if someone has a plan? Well, <clears throat> like Kelly was talking about, like their safety is our number one priority. And that's like information <clears throat> that like we need to know in order to ensure that they're going to be safe and that like um, that we can keep them safe while they're talking to us. And even after that. It's really important to recognize, too, that, you know, we say that question really easily. Are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about ending your life? Are you thinking about killing yourself? But it's so important to be direct and have that conversation. Um, and that's just kind of wonderful advice for the other teens and out there and the other adults out there who are really nervous about this question. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to know that this is a really scary conversation to have. It's not a normal one that we have every day. We do because it's a, the work that we do. But outside of that, it can be really intimidating to, to go up to somebody that you've been recognizing some signs or symptoms in and ask them that question. Knowing that 
also, if you can't, and if you're not the right person, that's okay as well. Just make sure that you're finding the people in your world that can do that for you. And sometimes that's the Oregon Youth Line. Sometimes that's calling us and asking us, hey, how, how can I ask this question? Or um, I have a friend that I'm really worried about. What can I do? You know, I think that's really important to emphasize in here that being able to talk about suicide is what we need to do. We need to have the conversation. We need to ask the question. And we need to be able to have conversations with people. And I really like how you frame that, where if you're not comfortable asking the question, call the youth line and get some advice about how to ask the question. Find out how to help your friends. Asking somebody about suicide doesn't make them suicidal. And I think that's one of the biggest myths that we have to bust about about suicide and what happens in there. When you're talking with somebody, either of you, when you're talking with somebody about their their plans and means and access, at what point do you start to reach out to your supervisor and say, I might need some help here? How does that work? Um, I will usually reach out to my supervisor if I'm feeling like I'm talking to this person and their safety isn't like kind of iffy like we're not sure if like they're going to be able to stay safe while we talk but sometimes I think it depends because sometimes like it'll feel like from the way they're talking that like this might not go that well so I'll like let my supervisor know like this person is kind of at risk and we're not like just kind of keep an eye on it like the supervisors monitor like every contact Mm -hmm. but like I think it's kind of nice and like let them know that like this one's kind of one that they should keep an extra eye on and another big part of our role in a contact is coming up with some kind of safety plan for them. And a big part of safety plans is asking them, what do you do when, when do you do when you're stressed or what kinds of things do you enjoy or what helps take your mind off of stressful situations? And just helping them brainstorm these kinds of things, whether it's art or listening to music or taking a walk or something can be really helpful. And I think also self-care isn't always face masks and bubble baths. Like that's a great part of, you know, this 2019 treat yourself kind of like mentality, but self-care is also taking initiative and taking care of your mental health. And sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's really hard work. Sometimes you, you finally find a therapist that works for you and you go and you leave and you feel really, really crappy, but that is the hard work, making it, making a change. Right. And, and sitting with that is, is hard sometimes, but that's part of self-care. Parker, I'm really glad that you brought up the issue of self-care because I'm interested for all of you. You listen to hard things every day. And I know as a psychologist, I listen to hard things a lot. And I have to find ways to take care of myself. How do you all as care providers take care of yourself with what you hear every day? Where do you put it? That's a really great question. And it definitely crossed my mind before when I was working on the lines And the entire staff is really understanding. So if any of the volunteers ever feels like they need to take a break or just step out of the room for a minute, they'll give us a space to do that. Or if someone just had a really hard contact, then they'll check in on them and make sure that they're okay. Annie, how do you take care of yourself? Um, I kind of just, I'm trying to think, because... I feel like Youthline, like, I know that my parents were worried that, like, I'd be really stressed out by volunteering here, and, like, I think they're still concerned about it, but, like Kelly said, like, it's a really supportive environment, and, like, you never feel like, 
um like i guess you feel like you have room for mistakes like it's not like this pressure to be perfect and like do the right thing every single time and like it is like a, it can be a stressful job but i don't think that like it's um like an it has like a negative effect on the volunteers because i feel like everyone there is um learning from the experience and like they really enjoy volunteering there it's actually almost empowering to to work on the youth line because the people that reach out to us they're actually very brave for reaching out to us and when I first joined the youth line I thought that I would be helping other people but then in a way the people that contact us are helping me find the courage within myself to reach out for help when I need it too. So what I hear you saying is that you really get what you give with the youth line and there's a positive impact for you as well. I want to explore that a little bit more when we come back. This is Talk to Be Well. I'm done with the drinking, I'm done with the smoking, I'm done with the playing, I'm done with the joking, I'm done with the ladies, I'm done with the fellas, just saying, farewell tequila, so long margarita, lady sativa, I hate to leave ya, don't want the pressure, I don't need a lecture, no thank you honey, God bless ya, I know, I've said it all before, but it won't hurt to do it all once more This is my last hurrah, once I start I ain't gonna stop till I go too far Last hurrah, and it's okay Maybe tomorrow I won't feel this pain Last hurrah Last hurrah I'm done with the heartache, I'm done with The drama, I'm fixing my karma. One more night up your nirvana. I know I said it all before, but it won't hurt to do it all once more. This is my last hurrah. Once I start. Talk to be well. Talking about what our volunteers get from Youthline that brings them positive experiences. And I'm wondering, Parker, do you want to share what what being a volunteer and now a staffer with Lines for Life and Youthline has has done for you? Sure. Um, I think that when I was an adult volunteer, I took some really really tough calls. I've taken hard calls on the Youthline. I've um, I've talked to so many different people and all of their voices have changed me and all of their stories have mattered. 
but my real positive impact that I get from the Oregon Youth Line is not just the difference that I make in the classroom and, and you know, traveling the state of Oregon and all those pieces, but it really is just watching our youth liners grow as humans. Uh, they already come in as compassionate, caring, wonderful human people, but as they go through training and as they continue to stay on the lines and as they take their their first phone call and all those little pieces, you really get to see this change in them and their sense of confidence and their sense of worth and their advocacy and activism that I, I see from them is so powerful, especially when we are looking at, you know, millennials and this generational gap and all of the, the negativity that gets placed on them. Um, I think that they're one of the most powerful generations that we're going to see. And that's where I get my, my impact. That's where I feel the most positive influence. Thank you. Do uh, either of you want to share a story about, about what the youth line has, has brought to you? Uh, I think a big thing that like working at Youthline has kind of um, done for me is I really feel like I'm doing something that is like directing directly helping people like when you pick up the phone or you text someone you know that like you're talking to this person and you're helping them through something and I was like obviously like a lot of high schoolers are like high schoolers are like this but like we have no idea what we're going to do with our life and we're kind of panicking about it. And um, this kind of helped me kind of figure out like I want to go into something with like psychology and helping people because like I've gone through like this experience where I have like obviously on a smaller level, but like kind of talk to people who are going through those kind of struggles. Kelly, how about you? What's this brought to you? What Youthline has brought to me is definitely, well, I remember before I started working on Youthline, I had this I had this false perception that talking about your problems and opening up on whatever whatever you feel like is a weak spot or a flaw is a sign of weakness. But after I worked on Youthline, I realized that opening up and talking about these challenging issues is actually a really big sign of strength. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've taken away. So one of the things that I'm really curious about is how calls change throughout the course of a year. I'm sure that the calls you get at Christmas are different than the calls you get in prom season. Can you talk a little bit about the seasonality of calls and what that looks like? Oh, for sure. That's actually a really good point. We do find that during the holidays, especially, there's a lot more pressure to be to be around family and all those different holidays. And I think especially for people who may not have people to celebrate these things with, it can be a really lonely time of year. And another, another pretty, um, pretty busy season is finals. We notice that right around that time of year, we get a lot more calls about academic stress. And it's just, it's a really, it's, a heightened time of stress for students, especially. Any of you seen any of that? Yeah. Um, I worked the day after Valentine's Day, <laughs> and there was a lot of um, relationship contacts. And, yeah, I feel I agree with, like, what Kelly's saying. Like, around certain times of the year, you definitely get, like, the same type of phone calls. And also, like, I guess that's another thing to say to those listening. Like, you aren't alone in, like, what you're struggling with. Because, like, there's all these other people who are kind of going through the same thing, and you aren't alone in how you're feeling and... Um, what you're reaching out for. Well, 
So you've inspired me to think about volunteering in a crisis line. And I've got two teenagers who at times have talked about wanting to volunteer at Youthline. What's the process? How do you get started? Where do you go? What do you do? First, you could go on to OregonYouthLine.org and send us an email at youthl at linesforlife.org. Um, just kind of getting some information. There's also a little um, pop-up that generates that says, you know, do you want to become an ambassador for change? Sign up here, and then it will kind of send you an email. I'm curious as to how you guys found out about YouthLine. I found out about YouthLine from a from an upperclassman that goes to my school and it just sounded really interesting she brought it up at an assembly and that's kind of how I first found out about it and then I reached out to the email that Parker just mentioned and they have a whole orientation and then obviously the training happens and yeah um I talked about this earlier but I used to reach out to Youthline before I volunteered there and the way I found it was I was like I was like just on the internet looking up stuff and I read that like the crisis line like the suicide hotline is mainly like talking to people who are like at risk and stuff so I wanted to look for something that like I could just talk about other things with and then I found Youthline and it was like that's really cool that it was like another teenager that I could talk to. I think it's really important to note that Youthline is something that's really unique in our country. There are only six youth staffed crisis lines in the country and Oregon's one of those places that's really fortunate to have YouthLine as part of that. There's a service in California called TeenLine that's based in L.A., and then there's a few others around the country. But what you do in having a teen-to-teen conversation and the training that goes into that is really unique. And I want to make sure that we call out, as Providence St. Joseph Health, how much we um, really value the time and effort that you all as volunteers have put into this and the training that you do, Parker, with the students to bring them forward. I think that's such an amazing gift to our community, and we're very blessed to have that. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of the calls that you get that are not necessarily from Oregon, that are from other parts of the world. I imagine those come from call and text. Is there a difference in what people ask about when they call and then when they text? Um, I feel like when you're on a call, you kind of get to, um, like the core of what's going on faster, I think. Cause I feel like when you're on a call, they're usually shorter than text. Like you can be texting someone for like your whole shift and then like pass it off to another person afterwards. So it's like, um, I think that calls can be different because, um, you're like talking to that person directly, like just like speaking to them, I guess. And then text is more like you can they can pause and like go somewhere else and do something or like you can talk about like more things going on in their life um, like through that way. I think it really depends on the contact because some people are much are more verbal processors and then other people are more um, literary processors. So sometimes when I'm texting somebody, they the responses can be one or two words and then other times they can there's just paragraphs and paragraphs of text. <laughs> so it really just depends. Um I don't know which one I think is easier because they both have their hard times and then their more convenient times, but those that's the main difference. All right. Well, after the break we're going to take some 
some calls from social and take a look at some of the different questions that people have for all of you. This is Talk To Be Well. I can feel you watching me. All your friends are trying to leave. You hit me with that one line. I know that you said about a hundred times. You got me all wrong. Don't you know who you're talking to? You got me all wrong. I heard about you and what you do. Don't you know the rumors? They talk about, talk about a young boy. They say that you're never gonna treat me right. I know that you're forever's only one night, one night. Don't you know the rumors? They talk about, talk about me too far. I know that your intentions are as bad as mine. So let's pretend forever's only one night, one night. <laughs> And we're back with Talk To Be Well and our guests from Youthline and Lines for Life. And it's important to know that Youthline's parent organization, Lines for Life, took over 110,000 calls in 2018. That's just an astronomical amount of calls. And it is so amazing that you're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week for everybody. We want to take some questions from social. But first, I know, Parker, you had a question for our volunteers. I did. I get asked a lot because of the work that I do, you know, how can you do the work that's so sad and morbid and I can never do that because I couldn't handle listening to people's sad stories and blah, blah, blah. I'm really curious if our teens also get that question and how you kind of feel that. Oh, I get that question all the time when I bring up that I work on the youth line. Um, And I guess my main response to that is that like you'd be surprised on how many times I've had a contact and we've actually, the conversation has actually become fun in a way. Like one time I was talking to somebody and the call could start off with something so challenging and frustrating in the moment and then you could end the call minutes or hours later with both of you laughing and it's just really surprising in that way and even in our volunteering room we always like to be supportive of each other and we always just have good conversations and 
yeah, it's definitely, it can be surprising, but. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, there's, like, a lot of calls where they may start off really serious, but, like, you have those little moments where you kind of, like, remember that this is another teenager, this is another person who likes to joke around and, like, all that stuff. And um, I also, like, agree with the room being really chill and, like, fun because, like, we'll, like, play music and stuff when, like, no one's on a call and we're just texting and, like, we have, like, games in there and food and stuff and it's, like, we're doing really important work, but, like, that doesn't mean that we have to be like super serious all the time. Yeah. I have been to the room and toured it. And I did notice that there is one of those gigantic plastic containers of orange cheese puffs. Is that still there? <laughs> have you worked your way through the orange cheese puffs? We make sure to stay stocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a question from social media from Desiree. She says, sometimes I think I need to talk to someone my age but sometimes I want to talk to a person with more experience or who made it through these years. Am I the only one who thinks this way? What do you think? I don't think that they're, that person is the only one who feels that way because it definitely makes sense that sometimes you want to talk to someone who understands that struggle, but sometimes it's also nice to talk to someone who like, who knows what it, like that experiences and like at youthline we can help support you and we can also help you figure out who that person is in your life who has probably experienced that and who like you can go to for support yeah that's a really good question and one of the biggest roles that we play is connecting people to the resources that they need whether that's like a therapist or counselor or planned parenthood that's that's one of the biggest roles that we play so your connectors. I, and I really like the way that you connect to community resources. And that brings up a question I had for Parker. I know in your role, you get to go out to Oregon's high schools and middle schools. And I'm wondering if you want to talk about what you do when you go out into high schools and middle schools. And, and how does that impact the work you do at Youthline? I'd love to. Um, I'm really passionate about it. So I could talk about outreach for hours and hours and hours. Um, but I travel all over Oregon, go into the high schools, middle schools, colleges, conferences, summits, panels, all of these really beautiful outlets for conversations around mental health. Um, Oregon Youth Line has created its own classroom lessons um, and curriculums based around just teen stressors. So we have a suicide awareness lesson. We have a coping with stress lesson. We have a teen decision lesson, which is, which focuses on like risky behavior and how we kind of cope with those decision-making pieces. Um, so all these really great lessons to connect with our teens. Um, but we also have a youth volunteer that comes with me and helps co-present these lessons. So it's not just another adult that's telling teens how they should feel or what they should think. There's another teen in the room because we're so passionate about that peer-to-peer -peer crisis support model. Um, and so just having really open, fluid conversations that are guided by myself, but really hold no judgment. Our are open and transparent and honest, um, creating a space that's respectful of that conversation too, because if we're, you know, in Portland Metro, it's going to look really different than if we are in Umatilla County and the problems that come up are going to be really different. And so we work through those all together and, um, just always making sure that our youth feel empowered to speak up about what they're going through. And if not reaching out to the youth line when we open and continuing to create, um, a space that's really focusing on destigmatizing the mental, the mental health struggles and mental health challenges. 
You know, I know one of the, the toughest things you do at Youthline, and especially I imagine in your role, Parker, is you often are called into schools after an event has happened, after somebody has completed suicide or has had a, a, some type of a public event like that. Can you talk a little bit about what postvention services look like? Definitely. We work with rapid response to provide postvention, uh, depending on what's going on for that community and where they're at. Because if people are in crisis, we're not ready to have a conversation about suicide awareness, right? We need to be able to provide a support system for that community until they're ready to, to be in that space. Um, but really focusing on containing what's happening um, because we have this idea of contagions and clusters, which are, um, you know, bigger issues and, and affect different communities, but really just providing lines for life and youth line as a, as a resource, as something that they can utilize. We work with that community to find out what it is they need and we're there. That's really an awesome part of what it is that you do. You know, at the top of this segment, we talked about how there's been, you know, about 110,000 calls in 2018. And, and there's a lot of stuff out there in social media about how stressed and anxious and all of the, the pressures and negativity that are, that are out in our society today. It can be really overwhelming. But I also think that, you know, services like Youthline and Lines for Life have an opportunity to, to change that conversation. How do you see what it is that you do impacting what is the current vibe in our society, which, which often isn't positive? I mean, the, the statistics and the data points and the data points and the data points are going to come and come and come. Right. And it's going to ebb and flow. Um, but I think it's really important to recognize that that amount of calls and that big of a reach and that's that's just lines for life. I mean, it's huge, but it's not it's not, you know, the statistics coming from the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And that's like a whole other spectrum. Right. But that is a lot of people that are reaching out and mental health isn't going anywhere that just means that people are actually reaching out and we're destigmatizing and we're um, starting to feel comfortable having these conversations, which, which, is, which is what's important. That's the work that we're doing, right? That's the work that I do in the classroom. That's the work that Kelly and Annie do on the lines. And it's so important to continue to create a space that's open to talk about whatever is happening for you because we, we call it a crisis line, but crisis for teens is so much different from adults. Like I'm worried about my taxes and still not, I still haven't done my taxes and <laughs> our teens are worried about so many things and the pressure is, is huge. The generation is different and that crisis looks like, yeah, I am having thoughts of killing myself. Crisis is also, I woke up and I failed a test yesterday and I feel like crap. It does not need to be a huge serious problem for it to be a crisis. And so starting to recognize that if your mental health is, is a little off and you're not feeling mentally that well that day, that's okay. And let's talk about it because you deserve to be heard. What do you all think about that? Yeah, Parker made a lot of good points there. And another big, um, a big accomplishment by Lines for Life is that a lot of the time we'll get, we'll get calls or texts or chats or whatever, and people say that they heard about Youthline um, through their friends. And so it just shows that people can just spread the word not only by when we do outreach or when we post on social media, but 
people are talking about it with each other. And that's the whole goal in the first place, to get people to open up and feel like they can speak up. Yeah, I really agree with that. I feel like nowadays mental health is like the stigma around it is getting reduced a lot compared to like 30 years ago. And I think that's like a really cool thing to like be growing up in and like um, seeing like teenagers who are making a conscious effort to like do self-care and all that stuff. And like Parker said before, like self-care shouldn't just mean like face masks and like bubble baths and stuff. It should mean like working towards your mental health. And I think we're like on that track to getting younger people to understand that. And like when we have kids, hopefully like the world of like mental health is going to be a lot different for them in like a very positive way. Kelly and Annie, I, I want to get your experiences. Tell me about a really impactful time that you've had on the youth line. Kelly, you want to start? One of the most, one of the most impactful experiences I've had on the youth line wasn't, it was actually when a parent reached out to us, it wasn't from another teen. And basically the parent was letting us know that their child reached out to us recently and the conversation that their child had with us actually saved their life. And that was probably one of the most impactful experiences I've had because sometimes when you're in the middle of a text or a phone call, you don't know whether or not what you're saying is actually helping the person. And those kinds of experiences or contacts where they're thanking us and letting us know that it helped just really reassures us and helps us know that what we're doing is making a difference. Annie, how about you? Yeah, I feel like my experience is like a little bit similar in like, I was talking to someone for a while and I kind of felt like we hadn't gone to gotten to like a good conclusion and they had to go. But like before they hung up the phone, they were like saying how um, just talking to me when they were on the phone, like helped them kind of feel like they weren't alone anymore. And I think that that's like a really important part because I think going into it and like maybe other people's perspective is that like we're trying to help people find solutions and like sometimes that's the case but most of the time it's like supporting people and letting them know that they have someone there that cares about them and like that might be hard to hear from like to be like oh this random person cares about me they don't even know me but like I truly believe like every single person in that room they like really care about you like once they like talk to you even after like the first time they say hi or whatever like they automatically they really care about your safety and like feeling like your voice is being heard and that someone cares about you. I think that's really important. And, and Parker, I want to put you on the spot one more time, because one of the things that we know uh, that helps our young people succeed, and I think that gets lost in the conversation about social media and all the ills of all of that, is the presence or absence of an unrelated adult mentor in the lives of a young person really can be the thing that sets them up for success in life. And you and the other adults, staffers and volunteers at Lines for Life have a unique opportunity in these young people's lives to be that unrelated adult mentor. And I'm wondering if you can share maybe a, a impactful experience that you've had as a mentor for a young person. Definitely. I think that's one of the really rewarding parts of um, doing this job and um, more recently, without naming said volunteer, uh, they kind of texted me and just said, you know, I'm really thankful for you and I really appreciate the support that you've given me. And that was overwhelming for me, just knowing that I am making a difference um, and I am helping them in that mentorship and kind of helping them develop as as adults because they are young adults 
and they're starting to, you know, become themselves. And um, sometimes our parents are not the ones that we want to go to for support. And sometimes the counselor that we have sucks because there are not great doctors and there are not great counselors sometimes, right? And so making our youth kind of sit and brainstorm other people in their lives is so important because you have to think of really outside the box of like, who else can give me that support? Because sometimes it's a neighbor, sometimes it's a youth leader, sometimes it's a coach or your music teacher. There's so many outlets for support that don't have to be specifically your guardian or authoritative figure or a, a counselor that you see. So just kind of thinking outside the box and finding those pieces. But for me, being a mentor has been um, really, really rewarding and beneficial for me. Well, I want to thank Annie, Kelly, and Parker for joining us today at Talk To Be Well, and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We know that talking about what's bothering you can be difficult and scary. Talking to a volunteer on the other end of the phone may be the first time you say out loud what's what you're really going through. When you call, volunteers listen and support you, and they keep what you share confidential, as we've learned here today. If you need support no matter where you are, you can call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 or text 741741. For peer support, you can reach out to Youthline at 877-968-8491. That's 877-968-8491 or text teen to teen. That's teen, the number two, teen to 839-863. You can also chat with a Youthline volunteer online at www.oregonyouthline.org. To everyone listening, please help us spread the word about local crisis centers and hotlines that provide free confidential 24-7 services and raise awareness for suicide prevention. You are not alone. We look forward to future conversations on more mental health topics with our youth panel. Make sure to follow hashtag work to be well. That's hashtag work, the number two, be well. Our student advisory council on Instagram at work to be well. That's at work, the number two, be well. You can also follow the Wellbeing Trust on social media. Thank you again. And this is Dr. Robin Henderson and talk to be well. I'll see you next time. <laughs>